This is the voice of contract management presented by the law firm of Kroll & Mooring exclusively for NCMA. Stay up to date on all things contract management five minutes at a time. Our team at Kroll & Mooring presents these podcasts to keep you up to speed on a bi-monthly basis. We will cover everything from regulatory updates to crucial changes that affect government contracting. We are your co-hosts for this edition, Peter Ayer and Yuan Zhou. We want to start with a brief update on the federal contractor vaccine mandate, which, as many of you know, requires that covered employees and those working in covered work sites be fully vaccinated by December 8th. There's a lot going on right now. It's a rapidly evolving situation. Agencies are issuing modifications with clauses. Primes are starting to flow those clauses to subs. Uh, legal challenges have been filed by a number of state AGs. Uh, companies are working to implement. And interestingly, we started to see some more FAQs from the government, um, including one from late last week that seems to suggest a bit of flexibility on that December 8th deadline in certain circumstances. So lots to watch. Um, we're, we're monitoring and tracking. Um, and obviously, we'll continue to report out on various developments. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Yuan to talk about a couple of data-related issues. Yuan, over to you. Thanks, Peter. We've got two items focused on data management and digital transformation. First, on October 22nd, the OMB released the 2021 Federal Data Strategy Action Plan. Now, this builds on the outcomes of the 2020 Action Plan, and it prioritizes improving the effectiveness of foundational activities like data governance, planning, and infrastructure. There are 11 actions outlined in the 2021 plan, including community of practice and shared solutions actions that address further cross-agency enterprise data maturity and common approaches to data. Now, agencies are tasked with considering whether they need comprehensive assessments of existing capabilities and how those assessments might help produce meaningful improvements, as well as to determine what foundational governance, planning, and infrastructure must be in place to progress to the next enterprise phase. Now, second, on October 20th, the Army released its Digital Transformation Strategy, which is a framework that's aimed at modernizing the Army's platforms, weapon systems, business processes, and workforce. Now, the strategy is organized by lines of effort that are tied to three objectives, modernization and readiness, reform, and people and partnerships. Under the first objective, the Army plans to divest from unsustainable legacy systems while investing in priority efforts like cloud computing and network unification, enabling the Army to seamlessly share data and information. The second objective, reform, requires the agency to reevaluate its priorities, resourcing, and investments to overcome challenges, including inflexible IT acquisition processes and ineffective IT investment accountability and oversight. Finally, the third objective, people and partnerships, focuses on recruiting, training programs, digital career models, partnerships with academia and industry, and collaboration with allied nations. Ultimately, the goal is to create a digital army by 2028. Peter, back to you. Great. Next up, we have a advanced notice of proposed rulemaking and an interesting OIG report. So first up, the notice of proposed rulemaking from the FAR Council. This was released on October 15th, and it seeks public comment on proposed amendments to the FAR 
to minimize the impact of climate change. The proposed amendments stem from a directive set forth in Executive Order 14030 called climate-related financial risk that if adopted would require certain contractors to publicly disclose greenhouse gas emissions and climate-related financial risk and to set science-based reduction targets. Specifically, the proposed rulemaking seeks, seeks input on a number of topics, including how organizations would provide greenhouse gas emissions data for proposals or contract performance, and how the government should give preference to bids and proposals from suppliers domestic and overseas to achieve reductions in greenhouse gas emissions or social cost of greenhouse gas emissions. So we'll be watching that, obviously. Next action is for the FAR Council to receive those comments and figure out next steps. Moving on to the OIG item, this was from October 20th. The National Security Agency OIG released an unclassified version of its audit report on the NSA's internal controls and oversight of cost reimbursement contracts, which identified three key deficiencies that could impact NSA's ability to determine whether cost reimbursement costs are allowable, allocable, and reasonable. First, OIG found that the NSA had inadequate oversight of the actual cost of cost reimbursement contracts due to vague and ineffective contracting officer representative roles, responsibilities, and oversight procedures. Second, the OIG reported that NSA was not performing sufficient review of actual cost on cost reimbursement contracts, and that noncompliance with clauses and insufficient billing documentation caused the OIG to question approximately 75% of the costs charged for sample invoices. And ultimately, the OIG concluded that NSA had increased risk of further labor mischarging and of making improper payments for unallowable costs. The OIG in turn made 22 recommendations to assist the NSA in addressing the issue identified in the audit, all of which the NSA agreed with. I'm gonna turn it back to Yuan for one final item. Thanks, Peter. On October 20th, the DOJ filed a statement of interest in support of a whistleblower's FCA suit in U.S. Xrel Marcus versus Aerojet, which alleged that Aerojet failed to satisfy the cybersecurity requirements in NIST SP 800-171 and also withheld disclosure of the extent of its noncompliance. Now, the DOJ dedicated the bulk of its SOI to addressing Aerojet's materiality arguments. It said that materiality was not lacking because the government continued to pay and contract with Aerojet despite knowledge of Aerojet's non-compliance with applicable cyber requirements because the government didn't have full knowledge of the actual non-compliance at issue. The DOJ further rebutted Aerojet's claim that materiality was lacking because the government knew that the defense industry was not compliant with cybersecurity requirements but continued doing business with industry. The DOJ said that that was legally and factually basis because generalized claims of industry noncompliance are irrelevant to the materiality analysis. In addition, the DOJ argued that the government's failure to withhold payment upon learning of regulatory violations doesn't demonstrate immateriality. Finally, on damages, the DOJ stated that Aerojet's contention that there can be no damages where Aerojet delivered a functional product to the government overlooks the full scope of its obligations to the government. 
Rather, the DOJ asserted that Aerojet's damages argument ignores that the government didn't just contract for rocket engines, but also contracted with Aerojet to store the government's technical data on a computer system that needed to meet certain cybersecurity requirements. Peter, back to you. Perfect. And with that, we will close out for this edition. Thanks for listening to the Voice of Contract Management, brought to you by Kroll & Mooring exclusively for NCMA. Stay tuned for our next episode as we continue to discuss all things government contracting. In the meantime, explore your learning opportunities at www.ncmahq.org slash course catalog.